Oh my god, Eric. What? Your bathroom door was unlocked. I went to go use it, but there was a dude. No. On the toilet. What? Wearing a mask. Um, what? Checking his phone. No. I know. It was so weird. Sarah, what the crap? Seriously, knock next time. That was you? Yes, oh, it was me. My God. What are you wearing a mask for? It was my ritualistic toiletry mask. It's good for digestive health. Okay, all right, all right. Question, though. Why Vladimir Putin? For the mask? Yes, for the mask. He's my spirit animal. Oh. I guess it makes sense. Putin for pooping. Welcome to Nerds on History. I am Eric Brickmont. I'm Brian Moriarty. And I'm Sarah Ashley. Guys, we're all three in the same room. Again. One, two, three. Yeah. Yes. And yes. And I know we all were all here last time with Dave, but nevertheless, it's like... Back to standard. Yeah. Reunited and it feels so good. Reunited because you know... What was it? What's the rest of the lyrics? I don't even know. <laughs> I think No You Should is what it yeah, is. Yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah. No You Should! <laughs> <laughs> Eric is a much better singer than that. You know that. Yeah, he's a much better singer. Yes. M marginally. Oh, I don't know. I've seen you rock the karaoke mic. You've had your moments. Yeah. I have had a few moments. Yes, indeed. Uh, hey, listeners. What up? We missed you. Yeah, and we've been crazy busy, mm -hmm. right? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, Eric is <sighs> reaping what he's sown quite literally yeah uh, god damn it i'm just uh, stop working must stop working all the time now i've been like 60 hour weeks but it's good though and yeah. it's good work and it feels good and i've just been working my tushy off as well and yeah. earning that money because i just bought myself a car what up nice adult yeah, adult things car. adult exactly. things and then uh, and the my nephews are due any day now Oh my God! That's yeah, right. Yeah, I had a I had a launch this year too. I launched a new child too. It was fun. Yeah. <laughs> Every year. Yep. They're like iPhones. Yeah, it was called the Brickmont Four. It was. Yeah. It was <laughs> definitely. Yeah, the Brickmont Four, which was definitely an improvement from Brickmont Three. Whoa! No, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Whoa! Whoa. I am kidding. It was a tech joke. I I adore Emmy. Emmy is is amazing. Now I have to keep the sharp objects away from Martha when Brian's just, around. Yeah, normally we now we yeah. know who like Brian's favorite kid is. We get it. <laughs> <laughs> I love Emmy. I really do, and I love Vicky too. But I love I love Emmy. I love Emmy. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I've been. I think I've said it enough. So I I've been busy too. I've um I just started rehearsals for Guys and Dolls, which I'm guys excited about. Dolls, I'm glad I can just actually a bunch of crazy guys and dolls. Yeah. Right, <laughs> as we know, of course the the main. Song is Luke, be a Jedi tonight. Do it for Yoda while we serve our guests of soda. Luke, be a Jedi tonight. Is that what that's from? Uh, yeah, so they took I've only ever heard the, the Simpsons version. That's yeah, that, is, that, that, is the Simpsons that is the Simpsons version. version. I know, but like that's the only musical theater I've ever been exposed well, to. Well, okay, but it, it is Luck, be a lady tonight. That yeah. is from oh. Guys and Dolls. Yeah, Frank Lesser and yeah. Abe uh, Burroughs. Would uh, it really be that bad if Luck was a guy? I mean, you know, they could have just gone and hung out. Um... I mean, it wouldn't quite work for that. For like, the syllabically, it's hard? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh, all right. Fine. <laughs> Good point. Touche. Moving I on. I mean, I guess if you do it, like, you know, in surfer tone, you're like, 
Luck be a brosith tonight. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. quite work. No. no. No, you see, it doesn't have the same feel no. to it, does it? Yeah. You know uh, we've so just lost about 15 listeners. We probably now, did, right? we yeah. Should probably and they're like, get and we're topic. done. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, we, I'm actually really excited. So it's an equity gig. I'm really happy with that. Um, and we open in November, uh, a couple weeks after this episode will drop. So I'm Excellent. super, super excited about that. Uh, and um, yeah, I'm mean, just doing commercials too. I just got done doing a commercial for a tech company. I won't say who it is or what it is yet. It's not mm. super big, but they're a startup, and that will be fun. That's an internet thing that they've got going on. So cool. Yeah, yeah. a lot of people around here have internet things going on. Yeah, well, we are in Silicon Valley. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the topic tonight, guys? Well, if you couldn't tell from our cold open, it is Vladimir Putin. <laughs> <laughs> it's about poop. Uh, no, it's about masks. Wait, Ooh. what? I researched poop. Did you really? No. <laughs> so, did you know that the wombat has cubic feces, and no one knows why? And this is true, and I mention this because it has nothing to do with the topic. And <laughs> I just, I, I feel compelled to ask our listeners to go online. If you don't believe me, look this up. It's Seriously? absolutely fascinating. They think it has something to do with the large intestine. But here's the thing. When the wombat leaves its poop, its droppings, it's a warning to other animals nearby to stay away from its territory. And because it's cubic, the poop doesn't roll away. So it stays in a very specific spot. And that's just a oddly evolutionary development in one's colon. I'm almost wondering, like, if there was ever a population of wombats and beavers who yeah. cohabitate a similar ecosystem if like the beavers would take the wombat poop after it had dried and, and build like, something out of it use that for building their, I, I wonder if it's walls. anything related to you know like the play-doh thing where you put it in you squeeze it down and like comes yeah. out shaped like a star yeah. oh my god are you yeah. saying that wombats know how to make molds <laughs> maybe <laughs> it's possible <laughs> um enough about rectal molds right <laughs> You know, I'm just looking at the the loss counter for our listeners. We're actually up to 240 by now. That's, uh, that's is... impressive, folks. We're only like eight minutes in. That's pretty good. All that's right. Not even. I mean, with editing, it's probably more like two minutes in. Holy that's... crap! Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so, that was special. Masks. <laughs> Weirdest tangent ever. I lo- what I will say, I love that our episodes have gotten a bit more bantery in the last couple months. You're I welcome. think it's great, personally. You're welcome. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder what change happened. Um, well, Eric, yes. why don't you launch us off? Because as our listeners know, you are the aficionado in all things ancient. So, well, yeah, I, I'm assuming we're going to tackle this from a from a chronological standpoint, sure, right? Because sure. it kind of makes sense. Yeah. And and this is a big topic. It's the kind of we're going to scratch the surface topic that'll get you super interested and then you're going to go do other research kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, because the whole idea of talking about masks could be an entire pod- podcast subject in itself Yeah, for nerds on masks, but we're not doing that. Yeah, no. I mean, the, yeah, there is no subtle or simple way to uh, to approach mm-hmm. mask making because there's also, it's versatile. There's Masks have taken on different uh, purposes in societies mm-hmm. over the course of history. So to do a comprehensive episode on that, yeah. would pretty much require us to like write a master's thesis on mask making and frankly we just don't have the time. And even if that even at that your your professors would make you narrow it down. Exactly. So. <laughs> That's right. So okay, if we're looking at this uh from the the standpoint of the scope of all history, I'm going to take us back as far as we possibly can, which means we're going to move into territory that may or may not 
be a mask. Oh. Okay, so we just have to start that way. I promise, however, all further examples will be Real. actual verified For realsies. Masks. For realsies. For so reals. One, one question that people have asked for a very long time when they're looking at prehistory is uh, focused around our nearby neighbors, right? The Neanderthals, other hominids who were inhabiting uh, areas predominantly in Europe uh, and particularly to this example in France. And were they capable of the same kind of examples that we see of, uh, of Homo sapiens at the time, which is very primitive art, ceremonial burial, all sorts of questions around Neanderthals. So discovered back in 1975 was a fragment of flint that was very purposely and clearly worked and very different than other examples of flint that were usually tool formed, mm -hmm. right? So they were hand axes uh, or, or other cutting instruments. This looks absolutely nothing like any of those things. In fact, if you look at it straight on, it looks not unlike if you had, um, you know, approached something from the nose up to the forehead okay. area, right? Minus the hairline. Mm -hmm. Like a little... Uh, um, like a French mask. Like a French like mask a or a Venetian or mask that you might kind of yeah. wear during a party, only made out of a solid piece of stone. Top half the face. Exactly. The top half of your face. And carved into it are very clearly identifiable eye sockets the uh either the the ridge or perhaps even the entirety of the nose it's hard to tell because there is some damage at the bottom of the piece and then rammed into those eye sockets is a very <clears throat> purposely drilled out hole in which a piece of bone was stuffed through and a couple small pebbles were then crammed in there in order to to lodge the bone in place and when you look at it it looks not unlike the top half of a human face. Mm -hmm. Where can they find that picture? So uh, this was discovered in the La Roche Cotard. I'm probably... Uh, Somebody who speaks French, read this, please. Sarah? La Roche Cotard, yeah. Okay, I was close enough. Uh, Roche Hotel. <clears throat> the Roche Hotel region of France. Um, it's C-O-T-A-R-D. Okay, thank you. And you don't really pronounce the D as far as I'm, I know. Cotard. <clears throat> La Roche Cotard. Anyway. Uh, area of France, uh, and is believed to be about thirty-three to 35,000 years old. Wow. So, so that's actually fairly, I mean, considering that humanity, we, as far as we can tell, has been on the earth for about 100,000 years of in some form or another, right? Well, modern Homo sapiens, they're saying, go back a lot further than that now. But yeah, but oh, oh, it's been, you know, people are around for a while and ceremonial burial and other examples of early art are characteristic of Homo sapiens in or around this time, at least they're just starting to really pop right. up. But this is unusual for Neanderthals. Yeah. So <clears throat> there is still quite a bit of debate about this. Nobody really knows if it was ever yeah. used as a mask. And it's hard to tell because there are no other real characteristics like we'll see of the other examples where they were either fitted intentionally to a <clears throat> particular person or they were attached to the face mm -hmm. and bound to it in some way. Right. Or it could just be sculpture. Too, yeah, it, right? could it could be also early be sculpture. sculpture yeah. yeah, it could be. Um, Nonetheless, it's very interesting, and it's a cool little starting point. And if we jump forward a few thousand years, we do get to what is characteristically, very obviously, a mask. And this comes to us from several examples uh, of 12 that have been identified so far that have been able either to be reconstructed or come to us as complete pieces from uh, the areas right outside of Jerusalem. So this is in interesting. Yeah, this is in the Levant. But they are dated to be about 9,000 years old. And what's interesting about this period of time in this area of the world, and we've talked about this briefly on previous podcasts on the show, is that this was the first real 
known attempt at agriculture. These are the first examples of people settling down and growing their food as opposed to living in hunter and foraging gather. Yeah. yeah, groups. Exactly. Yeah. And oftentimes what you see happen as a result of that, at least later at about seven to 6,000 years, which is where you see examples of it in North Africa, like in Egypt, really springing up and sticking that time, is that people have more time to do stuff. And so with that is born art. I mean, you have time to work stone, you have time to work wood and bone, and you end up producing much more ornate and uh, elaborate pieces of art than you would from times before that. Right. Once you have any form of leisure, and I know we wouldn't consider this leisure by modern standards, but it is a form of leisure because you do have free time on your hands. Yeah. And what also ends up happening is that they become absolutely bone-chillingly terrifying in appearance, at least apparently, but the examples that I have. So I'm showing Brian and Sarah a few examples of these masks. And One I'll is describe very clearly them to a smiley face. Which is freaky as hell. If you're familiar with the Nightmare Before Christmas... It looks a little like Jack Skellington. Yeah. It does look like Jack if Skellington. If he w- had like been cloned with half between that and Jason Vor- Voorhees. Where can they find these masks? So uh, these on masks... The, on the internets, so people yes. can see them. That's uh, what I'm asking. Well, that that's an excellent question. And yes. I shall answer that for you. <laughs> Presently, <laughs> stalling, Eric. Give us the give us the URL. Hold on. Um, if you if you do a search for just nine thousand year old mask online, <laughs> <laughs> if you Google it, if you Google it, shut up. Uh, <laughs> you'll find. I mean, the, I mean, the, they don't have an exact um, name. They're they're Neolithic masks. You can do a search for Neolithic masks, and you'll see a few other examples that also date to about 7,000 BC. Uh, but these are um, now held on exhibit in Israel, uh, in the museum in Jerusalem. Yeah. So you can also visit their website, and you should be able to see uh, at least an archived section of that uh, exhibit that's there. And there's several articles that have been written on it. Uh, and these are fascinating masks. And, you know, the, the truth is, all earliest forms of masks had some sort of either death or ritual association with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was really the whole purpose of creating another face and either placing it on your own or placing it on the deceased. Right. I mean, it's the most ancient form of caricature, too, if you think of it that way, right? Yeah. I mean, you got to remember that the idealized versions of people's afterlifes were pretty much the continuation of their living lives, right? So they, they bring them back in the form of either ancestor worship, where they want to reimagine the the living, healthy version of their ancestor and worship them so they continue to exist that way in the mm-hmm. afterlife, or they want to depict themselves as being young and youthful and you know healthy and alive so that they can partake in their afterlife. And that's almost certainly what these masks were, were meant to do. Now, they were meant to be worn as a mask would be, right? But they were meant to be worn by somebody who was alive. So they were not necessarily death masks. Hmm. But many of them do show signs of being molded and sculpted around uh, the head of an individual. Yeah. And uh, there are some scholars who suggest that those individuals were almost certainly dead and had been dead for a very long time because they show uh, very uh, kind of hard, rigid lines mm-hmm. in the in the in the molding of them. Uh, and as such, that suggests that they're actually based upon a skull's design as opposed to a fleshy and hmm. um you know soft head yeah interesting yeah i mean they they don't they don't look like overly detailed the yeah. nose looks fairly detailed this would have been very de- detailed for the time for the time yeah honest. but but the texture of it seems very smooth and right. also let me correct some verbiage i just used i used the word mold these were never actually uh clay fired 
um, you know, sculptures. These are these are car- uh, carved from stone, but nonetheless, they're very fascinating, and they are found uh, infrequently. But when they are, they're they're usually just found in the dirt. Uh, farmers in Israel, as they are, you know, re- re-sowing their crops or what have you, and digging down lower and lower, they end up un- unearthing these from time to time, usually in fragments, and most of them end up on the black market. And that makes it really hard to date for one. And also, again, to pinpoint exactly how these masks are used, uh, because once they end up on the black market, there's no yeah. record. Yeah. Nobody wants to be traced back to mm-hmm. where they were found, right? So right. they end up becoming a little bit of a mystery. But if you do enough uh, careful examination of what you got, and you find a couple of examples like they did with some of these perfectly intact masks that were found in the hills of Judea, right before you get to the to the desert section just outside of, you know, Jerusalem... That's when you 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 do find them associated with um, almost certainly ancestor worship because they're found with a whole bunch of other ancestor worship like right. uh, items. I mean, ancestor worship is the most ancient form of spirituality. Yeah, um, and so that makes complete sense, and especially when you consider that now modern science has shown that the one of the first things a human being learns to recognize is another human face. Right? Yeah. There's so much as a people that we value about identity mm-hmm. with the way a person's face is or how a person's face looks that to honor them in mask form uh is very is very much like you're you're trying to i mean i don't know if that's what they're doing in this case but they're yeah. trying to become them or they're trying to like call upon them exactly that's what they're doing is they're looking at possibly multiple generations back in order to to partake in this ritual and call them forward and bring forth their strength to embody them and their youth then embodies the deceased in the afterlife and sustains them. Right. What's interesting is that some of them, in fact, many of them that have been found also have these very deep protruding bags underneath the eyes that actually pop out far mm-hmm. from the eye. And that is believed to be interpreted to and uh, represent old age. So these masks almost certainly represented the elderly or a person at the state of their of their death. Or somebody who's really, really sleep deprived. Yes. Like me. <laughs> hmm. Uh, I can guarantee you this guy's had four kids. Uh, let's see. <laughs> yeah, that guy's got six. Oh, yeah, hands down. Um, you can tell because he stopped smiling. Yeah, <laughs> he's the one with his mouth just in a, in a, in a gasp. <laughs> um, this is something that has been going on for a really long time and continues to go on today. Ritual mask wearing is not something new, mm-hmm. uh, and it's not something that's going out of style. This very tradition that we're seeing here in Israel is almost identical to a lot of African tribes that still practice this ritual of ancestor worship and wear these masks that represent their their long-deceased ancestors. So this is just a, a first step in what has been emulated and repu- replicated or just popped up naturally mm-hmm. all around the world. Now, I wouldn't be me, just to change gears ever so slightly, and jump forward a few thousand more years, if I may. To where? Yeah, I wouldn't be me if I didn't go to Egypt. Of course. Of course. And, I mean, you have, to be totally fair, the most iconic example of a ritual mask that we can think of, which is King Tut's burial mask, right? Exactly. And King Tut's funeral mask was in existence... um, or I shouldn't say in existence, but was was conjured up and thought of and crafted at a time when funerary masks were, you know, old hat in Egypt. People had been doing them for a really long time. Yeah. This was a perfected craft up to this point. 
And because King Tut was born during the 18th dynasty, right, in the period of Egypt's greatest wealth and power and influence. He had a mask made of gold. He had a badass mask. I mean, you know, let's face it. This thing is solid gold. And it still looks great. Yeah. Thousands of years later. It's freaking heavy, too. And it's inlaid with semi-precious stones. Not gems. I hate it. I, I don't know how many articles I read online around this Guys, crap. Guys, if you've only the, seen the eye roll that Eric said when he said mm-hmm. not gems, it was, it, it was spectacular. They're semi-precious stones is what they are, okay? And, which is great. They're beautiful. They're absolutely lustrous and they look fantastic, but they're not freaking gemstones, okay? There's no like, you know, anyway. There's no embedded emeralds. I hate that crap when you see, you know, these gaudy fakes or replicas that are put online and they have like rubies in the eyes and crap. That bothers me. Anyway, King Tut's example of this mask survives to us simply because his tomb hadn't been looted like all the other examples uh, in the Valley of the Kings, which I'm sure there were even better examples of of beautifully ornate funerary masks besides King Tut's. What I find the most interesting is when you go back a little further and you see kind of how they evolved. When you think about mummies, what do you think of? Wrappings. Wrappings, right? Yeah. Toilet paper. Or linen wrappings in this, you know, in the case of reality. I just think of shriveled dead bodies, but... Well, okay, yes, that is true. <laughs> As we uh, talked about in the Emotep is a Badass episode. Oh, yeah. Desiccated remains takes on many different shapes and sizes. So. They sure do. Yeah. And, of course, what you think of characteristic as a mummy, though, is more yeah, often yeah. The, the wrappings around them. Right. And they were... And walk around going... Uh, yes, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they were... That's me most mornings. <laughs> Again, yeah. children. It's wrapped uh, in gauze. Scare his children. Again, children. <laughs> yeah. So what you we find is a really interesting attempt at continued levels of preservation because they were always experimenting with this throughout Egyptian history. But really early on, and around the fourth and up and through like the sixth dynasty in Egypt, so we're talking about um, this would have been about uh, come on Dipson. three three thousand five hundred years ago or so. Okay, right. You're looking at uh, attempts also combining plaster with this. So they would oftentimes then plaster in particular over the face area of some of these wrappings. And what ended up you know, happening was that uh, as it hardened, it, it created this, this mold uh, unintentionally of the deceased face, which is pretty neat because mm-hmm. the, the desiccation process was hit or miss at this time. They weren't always doing it. Sometimes they were, sometimes they weren't. Um, but in these examples, they were not. So they were preserving the face more or less like it was at the time of death. And so you have these, while not ne- technically a mask, you do have these imprints of the deceased. Yeah, they're uh, basically the, a negative kinda, of a person's kind of. They're very subtle, but you can really see some distinguishing features in the cheekbones and on the nose and yeah. the eyes. Uh, so there's some really cool examples of that early in their history, which then becomes a much more well-crafted example, which is um, most masks were actually made of what's called cartonnage, which again, we've talked about, which is again, intentionally plastered linen to make a mask form, usually on a wooden uh, model. Initially, it would harden and then they would place it over the deceased Mm. and usually be substantial enough. that would cover the entirety of the head front and back and then over onto the shoulders Mm -hmm. uh, for stability reasons. So it stayed on the deceased and, it's almost like an ancient form of paper mache, basically. Pretty much. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. And either linen or uh, papyrus uh, reed was used to to form the fibrous material of it. And then that would be beautifully painted and oftentimes gold uh, leafed and then inlaid with uh, other semi-precious stones. That was much more common characteristic than you see with like ro- royalty, obviously, who, you know, freaking king of Egypt. If he wants to have a freaking 
gold death mask, he can. Yeah. And he will. Uh, but nonetheless, it, it's so cool to see that tradition continue for thousands upon thousands of years. I mean, we're talking about 3,000 years of masks in mm-hmm. Egypt. So if you want to see ancient masks, that's the place to go. Of course, there's lots of other examples in the ancient world. The ancient Greeks and the Romans both produced several different masks. Uh, I think Brian might oh be able God. to Take it away, us Brian. on that. that was, dude, that was a good segue. I couldn't have asked for a better segue. That was, you know, that's what I do. That was great, dude. Yeah, of course, though, um, I'm going to talk more about how masks were used in a different form of ritual, right? They're, when they were used in performance. It's no surprise to our listeners that I'm the theater guy, right? So we're going to talk about theatrical masks. Um, super important, because if you look at the evolution of Greek drama, which we talked about in the It's a Grabber episode, it's like, I think, our fifth episode. How do you remember the titles of all these episodes? I'm a nerd. That's how. I they're mean, I'm really ner- good titles. I mean, I'm a nerd too, but I can't remember that much. Yeah, they're really good titles. They're not hipsterish or manufactured at oh, all. Whatever. As, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not making no, fun of feedback. I'm really not. Um, but anyway, only a little bit, though. only a little bit. <laughs> but seriously, it's a grabber. It was uh, the first episode we had Kyla on, right, as our guest yep. too. So it was, uh, and so we talked a little bit about the evolution of Greek drama there. And I'm going to rehash a little bit of it just because it, it's relevant to the discussion here. So the idea of, you know, the power of reenacting stories, right, goes back to pretty much any, the earliest ancient... It, it predates written history and probably predates um, most archaeological finds that even suggest that it existed at that time. Absolutely, yeah. So for the ancient Greeks, the need to to have a ritual around their myths was super important. So the idea of, and, and especially because, you know, goat sacrifice was a very common ritual practice at this point. In fact, the word and tragedy. let's face it, it still is. Right. And I mean, the word, the word tragedy comes from the two Greek words, tragos for goat and uh, oidia, which is ode. So literally, tragedoia meant goat song. So they, they would develop these poetic chants that were a telling of the myth. Right, a telling of the goat. Yes, say. and they may have been very meh, like in their in their utterance. In fact, no, no, no. Sorry. Right. Uh, anyway, I'm going to speed things up a little bit. So the chorus, all which is about twelve to fifteen people, all wore the same color mask. Right, it was yeah. meant mm-hmm. to be homogenous. They were just the acting as a storyteller. We don't. I mean, I don't 100 percent know why someone may have figured it out. My best educated guess is if you have a group of people who are singing it, it's a good way of getting the understanding that we are a surrogate of the audience trying to recall the past, basically. Well, and also there's um, a, a certain amount of things that are done musically or in lyric type form. You have a better chance of actually memorizing it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, totally. So. Uh, it was done in a certain meter and a certain repetitive style so mm-hmm. that it was easier to memorize. And it was also written to music, too. Yeah. Musical theater is the early, is the the remnant of what we have as Greek theater folks. Mm-hmm. Seriously, uh, and it really is the birth of of all you know early ritual as well. Absolutely, music, rhythmic or otherwise, dance and mask wearing all kind of go. You know, mm-hmm. I hate to say it, guys. Hand. If you if you like going to movies, movies have their roots in theater. Theater has its roots in religion, guys. You're you're taking part in a ritual when you when you do that. Just Take saying. that, you atheist moviegoers. Yeah. <laughs> but what's really important, and the reason why I say this, is the homogenized mask 
goes out the window in the 6th century because the Greek poet Thespis, and I think you might know why he's relevant, was the first person to step out of the chorus and say, ah, you know what? I'm not going to tell the story. I am going to be the story. Uh, and it was a little condescended, to be totally honest, but it worked out well. I think the word you can first conceded. You said yes. condescended, which can we, is Can like, we go back? Yeah, yeah. it's not a word. I like, no, no. <laughs> no, I like, no, 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 no. I like it. Condescended, <laughs> condescending and conceited. I like it. That's a portmanteau for you folks. There you go. <laughs> You made a, you made up a word tonight, Eric. You guys, just <laughs> what is that? Not new. It's you guys, ling- just linguistics really in tonight. action. If you, if you go back and you listen to the what is it, the 129 episodes we've done so far, yeah. I've made up about 40 or 50 words. That's true. Yeah. Uh, You're a wordsmith. But what's important about this is, as Greek theater developed, uh, you start developing uh, as Thespis basically determined. Hey, guess what? We can evolve the storytelling, and we can actually have people embody and become the characters, right? Right. That condescended bastard. Exactly. But he was a genius, as most <laughs> condescended bastards are. So, uh, he... <laughs> See what I did there? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, and I'm pretty sure his parents were married. So, uh, moving forward, as that happens, you naturally will start to see masks be developed for specific characters sure right? and it's super important as well because this actually served dual functions one yes we talked about the idea of persona right in fact persona actually literally meant was the word they used for mask uh in in rome which copied their theater from the greeks essentially so uh the the idea is that you become by putting on the mask you become that person simple as that uh but what was fascinating is that as theater evolved they started actually having unions. Yeah, folks, there was an ancient actors' guild. I'm not kidding. That's pretty cool. AAG, actually, that this uh, <laughs> the AAG. Uh, and there was an equity regulation that said that there couldn't be more than three characters who stood out. Or sorry, there couldn't be more than three actors who stood out in a show. Many as many characters as you want, but only three actors. So you had 12 to 15 chorus members, three actors. Crap. Who had to play all the other characters? And if you look at Let's use the most famous Greek tragedy ever, uh, either Antigone or Oedipus Rex, right? If you look at the way those scenes are written, there's no more than, like, two or three people in any scene other than the chorus, right? There's a reason for that. It's, again, because of those equity regulations. Or those equity... <laughs> sorry. Those union <laughs> regulations. Sorry. Sorry, equity. Don't... Don't... <laughs> don't punish you, me. You're not getting paid. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, because of that, the mask served a double function, right? It allows people to play more than one character. Uh, but what's really fascinating about the way the masks were made, though, is they were almost helmet-like. They mm. they were sculpted to be more caricature-like, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there are ones that exist today that are plaster-based, but we don't think that those were the actual masks they were because, frankly, they were quite heavy. Mm. Um, so they probably used something that was closer to an ancient form of paper mache, like maybe like what we were talking about, like a linen With carthenage, yeah. Yeah, kind of combination. But what was fascinating is if you look at these masks, and if you look up Greek drama masks, you will find it in oh, yeah. Wikipedia. The famous one is a lot of them that exist to today are very, the, for the male, which are the happy ones, are very much like Dionysus, right? Mm-hmm. It's very, yeah. the beard with the vines and the grapes around his head, and which makes sense because the ancient theater festivals were in tribute to Dionysus, mm-hmm. the god of wine and fertility. You can guess and what they partying. did at those festivals. He was mm. basically, he, yeah. he was a party they, guy. They partied, they drank wine, and they were very fertile. And then they would go watch <laughs> theater. So, 
maybe all three at the same time. We don't really know. Mucho copulation. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I would hate to work in that theater. <laughs> I digress. <laughs> well, it was to be fair. The the amphitheaters were carved into the uh, hillside. Yeah, but someone's still got to sweep up. Yeah, someone's got to clean that up. Mop <laughs> up, mop up, mop up. Let's be honest. Yeah, and they just let it dry for like an hour or three. Oh Jesus! Move on, move on. And look at oh look look we're up to six hundred listeners lost. That's pretty good. Sorry folks, sorry folks. If you are a uh, uh, a teenager who is listening to this podcast. You're finding it absolutely hilarious yeah. right now is yeah. what you're doing. <laughs> if your parents are in the room, I am so sorry. sorry. Um, so what I, I will say one more thing about them that I thought was very interesting is that they um, they were also functional in the sense of projection. Because even though the acoustics of the ancient amphitheaters were designed to carry voices easier, naturally when you've got an amphitheater full of a couple thousand people, because that's what these things were meant to hold, yeah. projection is still going to be an issue. So they actually sculpted the mouths of the masks to be like megaphones, like ancient megaphones. So it would actually help amplify the voice on its own. So um, if you notice why there's a kind of a, uh, a concave look to the mouthpieces, that's why. Mm-hmm. It's because it's serving that function. Um, now, I've seen many examples that are made of terracotta. Is that also a pretty common uh, material used in their construction? In For Greek drama? Yeah. Um, probably, yeah, because it might have been easier to work with than plaster. And it doubled as a flower pot. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) the Greeks also made theater masks for decoration, too. So, um, if, again, it probably wasn't functionally used, but it probably was meant to be kept for posterity. But what I will find, what do find also interesting is that since we don't talk about them enough, the Chinese also had theater masks. And I think it would be unfair if we didn't at least bring them up uh, a little bit. Absolutely. Uh, so, um, and we also kind of bend the idea of mask making at this point because to them, masks were not just worn on the face. They can also be painted on. So we can also kind of incorporate ancient face painting as part of like, this. Like Kabuki and that kind sure. of thing. Sure. Yeah, yeah, but Kabuki would be Japan. Yeah, um, I know. I know But that. nevertheless, I'm just, yes, she's making another point. I'm just bringing up another point, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I get it. And there were also uh, ritual mask wearing in Korean culture is extremely common mm-hmm. as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, now, while we're talking about ancient mask making in Greece going, we'll, we'll say being very generous, about a thousand years BCE, and then when you get to the 6th century BCE, you get to the more individualized ones. Uh, you've got masks showing up in China around, actually in the first century, uh, or not the first century, in the first millennium, uh, more like 960 to, to 1279. Um that's the ones that we can we can find at least uh, back to the Song and Yuan dynasties, and so uh, now of course there are there are murals and tombs that they have found during this time period that um, that kind of allude to this as well. Uh, and face painting was actually perfected during the Ming dynasty, which is more we're talking now 13th century, 13th 14th century uh, BC or uh, Common Era now. Along uh, with the, the painting of pottery in general. I mean, some of the most beautiful sure. examples come from the Ming Dynasty. Absolutely. Um, and colors were very important because they were used to portray varying personality traits. Uh, and that's actually still seen today, right? Particularly in Beijing opera. Um, Chinese opera is, musically, it may be a little foreign to, to, to an, an American or Western culture ear. But the whole idea of Chinese grand opera is stunning. It's truly stunning. And the, the the amount of acrobatics and sword 
play that they put into the they actually enact battles in in these some of these shows and it's really really amazing but you start seeing like red stands being devoted to to mean like brave upright and loyal for example that's the significance of that color there is one specific example of the Jiang Dong Nuo mask which uh it first appeared in the Hunan province and it spread to the Shandong region of the the Jiangxi province and I'm if I'm saying these words wrong uh, my, Sounds good to me. My apologies. You're saying them ten times better than I would. Yeah. Where Eric would just be like, "I'm not trying this." Somebody, Somebody who speaks read Chinese, read this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, these were really, these were really high quality. They were very well painted. They were very ornate. Again, bright colors, and they were more reflective of the gods. That was their, their thing, uh, to reflect that spirit. And again, this is also go ahead. And I think it's worth quickly mentioning that you know making that jump from the ritualistic mask to mm-hmm. the mask of theater yeah. wasn't that big of a jump technologically, right? It's not a big right? Yeah, no, it's not, not at a big all. jump. Because they were already pretty much wearing these. Like in, in, in Greece, the cults around Dionysus were wearing masks for a really long time. Uh, even in Egypt, you had ritual masks of Anubis that have been found, uh, at least partially, from the late period of Egyptian history. And if you go through, you know, pretty much any culture, you're going to find the ritual mask wearing connecting the god to the person mm-hmm. and, right. and the embodiment of that god. right. All well, were the precursors to this. And then there's just like a switch that, that goes on in cultures. And they switch and they turn it to the theatrics in a, in a less ritualistic it's way. It's not even but, really a switch because really... It's more it, of an extension, really. Because well, uh, early early rituals were performance because everything was based on oral tradition. Right. I mean, a switch in the sense of a of not nearly as a reli- big a religious impact, but an impact on, you know, speaking to society and culture and, and entertainment. Oh, right. as opposed to... Okay, yeah. Yeah. Right. That's what I mean by switch. Technologically, I mean, I they think, literally just took the masks off and put them on for different purposes. I mean, if you really look at it, though, a lot of um, things that were, I mean, religion was entertaining. Like, the religious myth was entertaining sure. and entertainment. So it's, but then as opposed to, you know, having it about be, you know, gods and all that other stuff, but turning it more towards people and Right, and social people, commentary yeah. of the time yeah, and yeah. what have you. That right. makes sense. Um, but I just, I find it amazing that the skills of the mask making, you know, just carried right over. And those same people who are making these ritual masks almost certainly pass those skills on to the others who would make the, you know, the, the theatrical masks and the actual craft of doing it is also extraordinarily impressive when you consider the amount of, you know, like you were saying, the beautiful painting that goes into many of these, the applying of hair and other features, you know, it's, it's incredible oh, what, what the people were able to do with this. And stuff. it is also worth noting that the ancient Greek masks were also painted too. The ones that remnant that survived to today, I'm not sure if they were painted and the paint had just faded over, over the centuries. Uh, but again, the ones that we have today were not the ones used in performance. Those would have deteriorated long ago. So, But imagine that level of... But if you look at the level of detail on the plaster masks and the terracotta masks that you see, if that, that was just a copy of what you were seeing on stage. Like you said, it is truly, truly impressive. So... Um, and it just fascinates me because mask wearing, we kind of talked about this when we talked about the history of Halloween too, right? Mask wearing is a ritual in of itself when you talk about the ancient practice of Samhain because you're becoming the dead Yeah. in that case, right? You're, you're, you're remembering your ancestors by becoming them. We talked about that just a few moments ago too. So to see that carry forward and now that it's become, that's still kind of the thing today too is it's, Though it's much more about celebrities and superheroes, but it's still you are you're 
you're putting on that mask because you want to be that. You want to embody that for some purpose. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. right? we build myths around celebrities and superheroes themselves are kind of, you modern know, myths. are modern myths. So mm-hmm. it makes sense. Totally. This is like the biggest wraparound episode where we've been making callbacks to, because we've, these are all topics we've talked about in the past, guys. Seriously, go through our backlog and look Bra- What up. Brian's trying to tell you is we're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> we're a little, con- I think it's a little condescended, don't you think? Uh, you know, it definitely moves into the territory of condescendedness. <laughs> condescended re? <laughs> Condeceit? Yeah. Condeceit or yeah. condeception? That's harder. No. Anyway. Okay. Yeah, we, we all just wear masks to really... You know, conceal our condescendedness. We all wear yeah. masks. I'm, like, I'm thinking about like Ben Stein on the TV we in all the mask. Yeah. That's right. That's right. That's right. Anyway, he was in the mask. Yeah. Yes, he was. I remember that deep cut right there. Um, okay, well, I'm gonna actually take in kind of a different direction. Bring it home, Sarah. Um, well, take us to church. I mean, it. Okay, this is a. So where have you you guys are talking about a lot of uh, mask wearing in a kind of celebratory manner, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to be talking in, about it in a more punitive manner, actually. Punishment masks? Yes. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, Brian is strangely fascinated. <laughs> Maybe the Vlad- Vladimir Putin mask could be a punishment. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not I'm not going so far as to start talking about. Um, the the bdsm subculture although that would be a fascinating topic um i'm actually talking about something that started probably around the middle ages and lasted up until about the 18th century Mm. um i'm talking about things that were called they're either called the brink the scold's bridle or the shand mask if you're a german otherwise known as the mask of shame Mm. is this kind of like Man in the Iron Mask kind of territory? Mm, not quite. So Man in the Iron <laughs> Mask, um, not just a Leonardo DiCaprio movie. No, a, a book by Alexander Dumas, but he was actually... He was a real, a real person. person. Yes. Yeah. And he did wear an Iron Mask, um, or in some accounts it was a black velvet mask, but that's significantly less intense. And, uh, and that was just used to hide his identity. Not to shame him, just to hide his identity from other people in the prison. Right, because he was the identical twin of the king. As the There's goes. a theory of that. Yeah. There's a theory that he was um, actually the king's real father. Um, there were other accounts that he was just a guy who was a very popular prankster and shamed enough rich people that he got himself put in prison. Um, there's a... There's a lot of different stories. And keep in mind, The Man in the Black Velvet Mask was a totally different movie title for a completely different movie. <laughs> <laughs> Very different audience. Something along sure. the Fifty Shades line. Yeah. But um, this, no. So what, uh, what I'm talking about is actually something that was made for a very public display of shaming people. Um, okay. More often than not, used for women um, mm. when they were, you know henpecking their husbands too much um being naggy or being called out for being gossips um basically yes basically they're big iron masks Uh, yeah eric's holding up one that um looks like a pig it looks like a steampunk like pig Mm -hmm. you see mystery science uh theater 3000 Mm -hmm. you know one one of those robots looks exactly like crow looks exactly like like yeah Yeah. um so they were they were very elaborate. Some of them were decorated to look like animals, like the one that you're holding up. But they were like reflective of the the crime, and this is like a, a basic societal crime, not anything to like 
put you in jail, but something like you're being a gossip mm. or you're being piggish, you're being a jackass, you know, so you would have like one that looks like a donkey. Um, sometimes they were more bird cagey. Sometimes they were actually shaped like the animal. It kind of depends on where you were. Um, the animal ones were more um, around like uh, Germany and Austria. Mm. Um, the Skold's Bridal is one that looks more like a bird cage, and this one was used more frequently in England. And there was, on the Skold's Bridal, there was a mouthpiece that'd be like a large spike, and it would go into, you would have to hold that spike in your mouth. And if you were to try and talk or try Ugh. to move your mouth, it would pierce your tongue or the roof of your mouth. Um, and you would be basically paraded through town wearing this mask so everybody knows what you did and had full chance to ridicule you. Um, and, you know, and even with the Skull's Bridal, some of them would have a bell on top to announce your announce your walking down the street like people would know. Sometimes so the giant pig mask wasn't enough. Yeah. They had to actually affix a bell to Let's the top. Let's put a bell on it. Yeah, I know. And then they would and sometimes they would chain that person um up in the the town square and it would give opportunity for the townspeople to go over and abuse them, yell at them, throw things at them. Um, as part of that shame you know you think of you think of that episode of game of thrones with you know Cersei having to be paraded naked in the streets while the you know woman's like ringing the bell behind her you know saying shame not far from actual practice yeah and this actually even carried over into the americas some puritans were were doing this over in new england yeah so this was Something that actually, you know, was relatively recent. So you're saying they had, they, you're saying they had shaming masks on the Mayflower. That's what we're saying? <laughs> potentially. Okay. Potentially. That's next episode, Eric. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Don't jump ahead. <laughs> Don't jump ahead. Okay. But speaking of the Americas, I want to talk about another type of mask that I just think is really freaking cool. And it's not punishment whatsoever. This one's just really, really interesting. Yay. Yeah, Eric, Eric knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, and I'm talking about the False Face Society of the Iroquois. The False Face Society of the Iroquois. Okay, awesome. Yes. Yes, this is really cool. So these are um, masks for healing. And they were extremely elaborate craft, elaborately crafted masks that people would they would go walk in this people members of the false face society would walk into the woods find a tree that called out to them and carve the face fully detailed into the tree before they would cut it off the tree i'm glad you finished that sentence because for a moment i thought you said they were going to go walk in (laughs) i'm just like is he a supernatural force that you could just summon they would Uh, go yes You go yes. walk in the way that some people go like, super saiyan. Whoa, look at this tree over here. You um, guys. Wow. You got wow. some form of malady. <laughs> I want I want to help. Go into the woods and do me. Right. And that'll yeah. that'll help. This this tree over here, it's it's lacking cowbell. <laughs> Is what it's, it's crazy. Lacking. It's crazy. Okay, it's crazy. sorry. Tangent aside, let's continue. That's okay. <laughs> um, so these faces would actually be purposely kind of made slightly cartoonish, kind of a little grotesque in the sense that, like, the nose is pushed to the side. There's a crooked smile. One eye would be might be bigger than the other. Um, and then they'd add all this horse hair to, you know, fill it out and everything. And, and the whole legend of this comes from the story of the grandfather. Um, and it was the, the story goes that after the creator had created the earth 
and was about to create his people, the grandfather showed up and said, I created all of this. And the creator said, no, I did. But you know what? Let's let's prove it. And uh, so they both turned their backs and they both had to move a mountain. And so um, they turned their backs and the grandfather was like, I'll do this first. And he moves the mountain just a little bit. And the creator sees, wow, he actually does have some power. He can move a mountain, but let me prove him wrong. And he moves, so they both turn their backs again, and he moves the mountain, like, all the way up to the grandfather's back, that when he turns around, his face hits the mountain and gives him a permanently crooked face. Uh-huh. And um, as kind of like, a, you know, not punishment or, uh, or anything like that, not at all related to that, but the creator kind of said, you know, you obviously have some power, you have some good. Um, why don't I let you stay here, stay on this planet, and help take care of my people that I'm about to create? Um, you can help heal them. And so hmm. when whenever people are sick, there would be like a, like two or three times a year, there's like a false face ritual where um, members of the false face society wear these masks, go into homes and bless them for healing. And if there is anybody cool. sick, they would That's do really a ritual. Cool. They would do a ritual of healing for them. And um, people who became members were, were either because they were healed by um, a member or if they just felt a significant calling they would become a member um, and it's really interesting because there's a lot of non-members of the false face society who are now basically crafting these masks for tourist trade and it's really upsetting people who are traditional members of the false well, face I'm society sure, yeah. So, oh yeah especially if they're not Iroquois. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's there's a little bit of controversy around that. So if you're going out and buying one of these masks, I would think twice um, because they do hold it very sacred um, and very important to their to their culture. So, uh, but I but you should definitely at least go online and look at what these masks look like because they're they're great. They're very detailed. Usually, kind of like the teeth are big, and it's it's amusing and it's comforting and it's you know it's just really really fascinating they have kind of a sweet look to them they don't yeah. they, you know they're not obviously intended to look terrifying or no whatnot, they look very they, endearing yeah. yeah yeah i mean if you it's can, grandfather yeah. you know yeah so yeah, exactly a grandfather with a crooked face <laughs> yeah i'd like to bring it home on a classic okay i mean it's no surprise that we are releasing this episode in october folks mm. so uh we, t- we we've been talking so much about ritual throughout this entire uh, episode. And masks just are inevitably there, completely tied to ritual in some form or another. We haven't had a chance to talk about Carnival Mm. in Venice. And these are some of the most iconic masks in existence. And it's important to talk about it because, first of all, when this developed, the idea that Carnival, that these masked balls, these masked parties that you can have, you could actually have a mask on for almost half the year if you wanted to, pretty much from anywhere of the Ascension all the way up to Christmas. Actually, really all the way up and through through Lent was the, was the, the Lent, the Carnival Festival, very much like Mardi Gras, was the, the ending of that mm-hmm. before you go into the preparation for, for I hope Easter. these were really sweat resistant. Yeah, well, not, you wouldn't wear them all the time. Oh, but, oh, oh. And obviously this was something that the wealthier people, the higher class people in Venice would do since Venice was a more well-to-do province in Italy. Mm-hmm. It's no surprise that this was very common. I gotta say, though, Venetian masks kind of creep me out a little bit. I'm going to talk about that, actually. Because yeah. there's a purpose behind all of them. So you've got a couple different... You have a few things going on. So you've got the... the let's go through the, the, the four basic 
mask designs, right? You've got the Harlequin, mm-hmm. which is the clown, right? And the Columbina. Now, Arlequino and Columbina were a were a common Commedia dell'arte character uh, troupe. They're also the main characters of the Puccini opera Pagliacci as well. Um, the idea it's a clown and his wife, right? And they're there and they have marital troubles. Very aligned with the Punch and Judy kind of archetype, right? So you have those. Well, uh, you know, 75% of clown marriages. Right. <laughs> but here's the interesting one. The one that's <laughs> more... Sorry. The, I can't even say it was a straight face. Yeah. <laughs> the one that's more creepy, like the one with the elongated nose. Mm-hmm. That is called... And Eric, you're going to love this. That was called the Plague Doctor mask. Yeah. And you know exactly why. Because during... We talked about this in Fifty Shades of Black Death. Yeah. The, the elongated mm-hmm. noses were meant to... Hold herbs and other uh, sweet smelling because people were aromas. Rotting. Yeah, exactly. It's um, actually the clown one that creeps me out the more. Oh, okay. Because well, clown. That's fair. Yeah. Again, well, I, mean, I think seventy-five percent of clown marriages. Some people end in divorce. Some and also a high amount of squeaking. Seventy-five um, percent <laughs> <laughs> end in somebody getting squirted with a flower. Can you imagine the, the clown divorce lawyer said, "And Mr. Olakino, is it true that when?" Your wife asked you, do you want the house? Your response was, uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway. Uh, ah, plague doctor. <laughs> plague doctor. Uh, so that's the elongated nose one, right? And these are ones, and the, the, that one was generally only a half mm-hmm. face yeah. mask. Uh, the Arlequin ones and the Columbina ones were full face masks. Mm-hmm. This is a, more a half face. The one that can go either way, and this is also kind of a creepy one, it's the one that doesn't have the mouth, the Bauta yeah. mask. It's got this kind of this, this ridge that just goes over the bottom half. It's also the one that's made famous in the movie Amadeus, that mm-hmm. the figure wears. That was purely for function. It was meant to to be someone where you could walk and eat and yeah. talk and not have your mouth covered right but they were it was also incredibly ornate and people could stylize that however they wanted yeah there's a beautiful picture of seeing on wikipedia of one that where it looks very um sun god like like he's got this kind of mm-hmm. gold thing and he's holding the sun next to him so yeah it's definitely the full face ones that creep me out yeah yeah and rightfully so especially when they're hanging on a wall and they just like have dead spaces for eyes it's really well I really mean, off-putting if you look at the people who are wearing them the you don't. You can't really see their eyes because there's a bit yeah. of a, uh, there's enough space to create a shadow. Yeah. So it is kind of this. It is meant to create complete an- anonymity. Yeah. And let's face it, folks. If you've seen the movie Eyes Wide Shut, you can kind of know what I'm talking about next. Sometimes these carnival parties they got a little dirty. You know, they the anonymity was meant to say, "Hey, I could be sleeping with whoever I want, and I don't know who they are." No, it's my brother. Indeed. And now it burns when I pee. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> So great, yeah. Uh, um, so think about that, folks. Next yeah. time you go to a Halloween party, that's all I'm saying. Exactly. <laughs> and, and this is really, again, just barely the surface of of talking oh, yeah. about masks. I mean, there's there's so much out there. The punitive masks have been used in prisons um, as a form of isolation, and slavery. Yeah. Then there's even getting into you know gas masks and talking about practical masks. You know. I have to have two quick honorable mentions. I'll take just one, if I may, please, mm-hmm. along those lines. So uh, during the First World War, when tanks were first coming into use, they were monstrous beasts of machines and oftentimes were under constant uh, fire from uh, infantry. So bullets were being ricocheted off of them. And in order to protect a lot of infantry, 
they would line up behind the tanks and they would use it to protect themselves. But what they'd end up having happening is these people who were supposed to be protected by the tanks would have bits of shrapnel and metal, you know, uh, shards coming off of the tanks flying up their eyes from the from the treads. And so they created what were called splatter masks. And they're absolutely terrifying in appearance. Yeah. They look like the Venetian masks, but, you know, replacing the bottom half with, like, you know, it armored like, chain mail. Yeah, chain mail, yeah. And the eyes are all... Uh, blacked out with just little slits for like you to Kanye see glasses. That exactly. could literally, and plus, when you've got the World War One iconic metal brimmed helmet, like yeah, that looks like a character in a horror movie. Yeah, it it really does. It, it reminds me of that freaking Doctor Who episode yes. with the kid in the gas mask. Yes, and speaking are of kids, are you my mummy? Are you my mummy? <laughs> uh, speaking of kids and gas masks, look at this. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you. You obviously baby can't gas see mask, but yeah, baby gas mask. Look so, that stuff up. It looks like an astronaut helmet. Basically. Yeah, and you would pump air into it with this little hand pump on the side that ran through a filter, which pretty much did nothing except to deprive your already healthy child of oxygen during a non-war situation. <laughs> uh, and interesting fact: ninety percent of people born during the First and Second World War will not drive motorcycles now as a result. Really? That's absolutely a lie. But uh, I was um, say, like, I would be really interested to see if there was some like latent PTSD from that. Oh, I'm sure there is. I mean, if you look at the pictures of these kids who are in these masks, they're all screaming bloody murder. Yeah. Um, but I just probably thought, because they feel like they're being suffocated. Well, they are. Um, but all for the best mm-hmm. of intentions. All right. So anyway, a couple little fun ones cool. I wanted to throw at the end there. Fun episode, guys. Super fun episode. Absolutely. Shall we get into some listener feedback? Of course. Indeed. This week in listener feedback. Bah. Well, thank now. you. <laughs> that was quite special. Well, I listen. I listen to our episodes. That was uh, my feedback. Hey, we actually got a couple that we want to share. Hey, asking you shall receive. Asking where people are from. Yes. Oh my God. Please, please, please keep it coming because I'm actually going to be collecting all this data. Yeah, and do we want to call them out on the on the podcast because we got like from all directions: Twitter, Facebook, email. I will, what I want to do is I want to actually put a map up on the website. Okay, we I can, want to. We can do that. We can totally do that. But I will say, let's give some shout outs. We've gotten uh, Korea. We've gotten uh, South Africa, mm-hmm. and she she wants to claim that that is not an English speaking country, even though it is, because she speaks Afrikaans as her first language, though she is fluent in English. Well, they do speak English in the country, but yes, it is. It's Afrikaans not, is the official language. Yeah, it's, yeah, not, it's not the official language, language and yeah. it's also not the most, uh, it's not the number one language, is it? Mm-hmm. No, uh, no, I don't think so. No. I, for those Afrikaans who need a rehash, is, Afrikaans is a merger of Dutch and the Oh, I, I, I was talking about time. Afrikaans. I thought yeah. Afrikaans was moved out. I don't think it is uh, the number one language any longer. Oh, I thought, interesting. I thought, I thought there was another language. I, thought I could the, be wrong. I thought I it was wrong. the official language. Either way, um, we've also got Sweden. We have a Swedish listener. Yes, we do. So that's all awesome. I'm really excited. Everybody just needs to keep keep it coming. Yeah. Uh, Benjamin Baker, because he has his full name on Twitter, we can say his full name. Uh, ben wrote into us, said, hey, sorry, he's been away for a bit. He had some trouble. He did make a Xenomorph joke uh, reference to it, and uh, I hate you, Ben. <laughs> but I also love you at the same time. That's okay, because he referenced Star Trek, so I love him. Yeah. Uh, he he did say that he loves what we do. Our feedback episode brought a big smile to his face, and that he will always listen to us before Star Talk at the beginning of the week, unless it's <laughs> till Neil deGrasse Tyson is interviewing Edward Snowden because it's Edward Snowden, um, and that he also says, "Don't forget that what you do matters." And like that, that's that was very touching, that and I really touching. appreciate that. And we very sincerely hope that you uh, continue to improve in your health. Mm-hmm. And if there's anything we can do, 
let us know. Yeah. yeah. And uh, for the record, Ben is coming to us from North Carolina. Mm. So it's a great state. Put that on the map. Awesome. Yeah, because my mom doesn't listen to the podcast, so I wouldn't be able to mark her. But she lives in North Carolina too. <laughs> oh, all right. Yeah, but she yes, doesn't listen. Indeed. Guys, we're going to save the rest of our feedback for the next episode. Um, and please keep in mind that we are we are at the point now where we, we are not listening listing everything. We get re- repeated engagement from our listeners. Um, Athena, you deserve a huge shout out uh, for sure. Elizabeth gets a huge shout out as well because you guys have been so active with us on social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of our new people too, Laura, who's been following us. Um, ben has been favoriting and retweeting everything that we've been posting. Yep. Thank you so much for that. You do not go unrecognized, and we we so appreciate the work you do. Um, you're kind of part of our family, you know, and you'll always be a little twinkle in our eye when we talk about these. Basically, so. Brian's saying y'all talk too much, and we can't read everything you give us. Well, I was trying to be, I was trying to be nice, Sarah. <laughs> Jesus, I'm and, just and, being blunt, and that, he, and that he loves you, yes, and has a deep emotional connection to you, yeah. But it's not very creepy. No, not at all. No, no, no. Mildly creepy. No. He, so only, he basically just prints out all of your profile pictures and, and just keeps it in his wallet. Yeah. That's not normal. It's, it's, it's like a dad and his kids really is what it's like. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. <laughs> anyway, if you guys do want to talk to us, um, you can do so by reaching out to us on Twitter, on Facebook, and on Instagram. Uh, just search Nerdonomy. You will find us. I promise you that. I sure hope so, because if you look at the counter, we're at 1,412 now. After And it, that was a 700 spike after the Brian comment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> we really rely on those guys now. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, you can also go to our website, go to nerdonomy.com, click the talk to us button. You can also check out our merch page, look at our blog, listen to back episodes, or click any of the um, affiliate links um, for Audible or Amazon, and we get a little bit of cut from that. Or you can just go to audibletrial.com slash nerdonomy if you want to try that out. Um, but most importantly, what you can do is you can review us on iTunes, you can review us on Stitcher. Um, if you are actually um, having trouble with getting your feeds um, or listening, listening to us let us know um we actually want to talk to you about that um but really uh, the biggest thing you can do is uh, tell your friends absolutely spread the word of nerd and can i just add one quick thing here yes um, mr shatner please continue to do what you can to get us our first listener in space <laughs> uh i everyone thought i was joking last time no really i'm damn serious i want yeah. somebody on the iss to listen to us uh, or, you know, once the Chinese get a permanent station up there, yeah. they want to listen to us. That's cool, I'm too. I'm just saying, if we could all of a sudden reach the son of Thurgood Marshall by happenstance, we can reach somebody at NASA. That's right. It's it's it's, it's a thing. It's possible. Make this happen, folks. Yeah, tweet them information about our podcast, particularly our space-related episodes, mm-hmm. and, and have them listen. Yeah. Like, we could do it, but they'll ignore us. Yeah. If a bunch of people do it... Yeah. They have to not ignore us that and much. I, I'm going to say it now because I kind of want him on the show now to, to talk because he'd be fascinating to talk to. Ben, keep mentioning us with Star Talk because I want Neil deGrasse Tyson mm-hmm. to Skype into our show. Oh. That oh. would be amazing. Eric would Eric couldn't wouldn't be able to talk. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he'd be the best. That'd be the best episode we've ever made and we'll, would ever make from there. If we could do a Carl Sagan episode like a history of carl sagan with neil degrasse tyson Jesus. contributing that would be amazing you saw eric just got a little glassy eye i don't know if you noticed that folks. yeah 
because yeah. audio. There's, if there's two know. things that Neil deGrasse Tyson and I have in common, okay, well, okay. That, if there's four thousand things Neil deGrasse Tyson and I have in common, one of those things is a uh, is a mutual love for Carl Sagan. Yeah, yeah. And all the other stuff are really nerdy space related things. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, he did host Cosmos, right? So mm-hmm. and a love of Velveeta cheese. Who knew? Who knew? Oh my God. Well, that's unfortunate. Yeah. Particularly for your heart. Uh, anyway, folks, it is that time. So until we meet again, stay nerdy and tune into our next exciting episode. Same nerd time, same nerd channel. Nerdonomy.com. Bye. Goodbye. That was a good episode, guys. That was a good episode. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, although, you know, I had a lot of coffee this morning, and then we had all that Indian food, and I just I haven't really... Been. Basically, what I'm saying is I needed to get my ritual toiletry mask, so... Okay, go ahead. Yeah, all right, I'm just going to put this on right now. Why? Huh. Why is it a xenomorph? It's my spirit animal. Oh, God. Yeah, it makes sense.